0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show was presented by, as always, Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and it just takes three easy steps. In fact, I'm doing this today. I'm ordering a new box. I'm ordering my Spring Mercury Mile box this afternoon. can't wait. It's so easy. You go to mercurymile.com. If you've never been on there before, you enter your sizes and preferences and then they'll send you out a box of curated running goodies and attire, usually four to six items per box. You keep what you love. You send back what you don't. I usually keep the entire box. Occasionally I'll send back one or two things, uh, but the stuff is really, really good. and It's high quality and it's low priced. And it's all from the best providers, the best running attire producers out there. So with that said, I can tell you, I say this all the time, but the best running gear that I have comes from Mercury Mile. I've also gotten some lounge gear as well. So it could be like running, like a running coat, but also it can just be a coat and things like that. So I'm excited. i my getting my fall. I'm sorry, my spring box. I get usually one box per season. So I'm excited to do it today, and I'll use code RamblingRunner10 to save 10 bucks. So should you. So today's episode, this episode is one that I couldn't have been any more excited to do, despite the fact that I probably talk, not even I, we probably talk the the least amount about running in any episode we've ever done. Uh, so this one is with Jordan Marie brings three white horses, Daniel. She is an absolutely fantastic runner. Let me just say that right out the gate. She is fantastic. She ran at the University of Maine. She's been running her whole life. As you'll hear, running is literally in her blood. Um, But we don't spend a lot of time talking about running. We talk a lot about the, the parts of her life and her history that she is working to basically correct in society and i'm not going to spoil it i'm going to let her talk about it but she's using running as a way of gaining um just notice for the causes and things that she believes in and does it in a way that has really garnered a lot of attention uh she's been recently in sports illustrated she has been in runner's world as well as a cadre of other publications and websites she's just a phenomenal person working hard to make the world better and her community better. And I couldn't have been more proud to have her on this episode. Uh, Before we get in, I do also want to say thank you to Lowell Running. That's L-O-W-E-L-L, Lowell Running. I'm a coach there, and it's always a pleasure. I talked about one of the guys I coach, Ariel Velasco, who ran the Boston Marathon. Talked about him a couple weeks ago. I had another runner of mine, Seth Baird. Ran a 5K this weekend. He dropped a 1 minute and 18 second PR in a 5K. It's just so, just, it really is a pleasure to, to work with these athletes who work so hard. And if you are looking for a new coach, I'd love to coach you, as would any member of the Lowell Running coaching roster. Just go to LowellRunning.com, that's dot runningcom to set up a new plan with a new coach. All right, now let's get into my conversation with Jordan. Hey Jordan, welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast.
1: Hi Matt, how are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you for doing this. I have to be honest, full disclosure to the listeners. We tried to do this a couple of days ago, but you're like, you're like the busiest woman in running. Like you went right from the Boston <laughs> Marathon and you were like doing these crazy camping trips. We tried to do all your camping. It didn't sound great. So here we are doing episode, you know, I say episode number one, but part two but we're diving in. Yeah.
1: we'll get it this time
0: we'll get it that's for sure so again thank you for doing this you had I guess one you know I think feel like your race at the Boston Marathon was one of the, the the personal stories and obviously your story is much more than a personal one but your race itself was one of the biggest takeaways for me for this race um so I really appreciate you coming on so just a little backstory when did you decide to run the boston marathon for this year
1: um well thank you for that uh, for saying all that um i decided back in mid-february to run the boston marathon i was asked by justin martin who is dene navajo um who is the executive director of Wings of America, uh, to run and fundraise for Wings of America, which is a native owned organization um, looking to build healthy, strong native communities through native youth running initiatives. Um, and so I was fundraising for their pursuit program, which brings five native youth to Boston to participate in the BAA 5K, which has over like 10,000 runners in it, um, as well as a Harvard University college visit, too, since all of these youth are now looking forward and looking ahead towards their what they're going to do after high school. And so that was just a great opportunity. And it was their third consecutive year doing it. Um, So I just really thought, one, I love running. I love working with Native youth, um, and I love Boston. I miss New England, so um, returning back to that city and running 26.2 miles for a much greater purpose than I ever thought of, um, it all just aligned and just worked out perfectly.
0: So have you ever run a race? I know you did it for more than just Wings of America, Um, but when you have run other races in the past have you ever gone out of your way to dedicate the race to something else the way you had for boston this year
1: um i would say definitely boston this year was different in and of itself but i ran the boston marathon really injured in 2016 Um, I was really stubborn and didn't want to give that up and didn't want to let people down. Um, But I was fundraising for Running Strong for American Indian Youth, which is Billy Mills, the 1964 um, Olympic gold and the 10K, um, who is the only American and Native American to win the gold so far. Um, But then I started running and I started connecting my running after that with movements, especially fighting pipelines and what was happening in Standing Rock and the fight against No Dapple, um, and that's something that I organized to help the youth who ran over 2,000 miles from Cannonball, North Dakota, to oppose the Dakota Access Pipeline to DC. And so I organized a run in DC for them from the Supreme Court to Army Corps of um, Army Corps of Engineers, and that's how that kind of. I guess, light switch clicked when, oh, well, I've been running all my life. I've been competing at, you know, all these different kinds of levels and different kinds of races. Like this is, if these kids can run across the country for this purpose, like running can serve that same purpose. And the running community, I just absolutely love and has been, you know, a community that has welcomed me and has just accepted me. And so, and they've always been so supportive. Um, So I knew people would get that. I just didn't think that my marathon run this year would come to surface the way it has and getting that amount of support and the opportunities to speak about this issue that's happening in Indian country and among our relatives. Um, So I'm just really grateful for all that's happened.
0: So you were a D1 runner at the university of Maine and even past that, like you have, your family has this distinct running history so if you wouldn't mind just telling that story a little bit because i think this is fascinating because as we've mentioned before like your story and what you basically everything you're representing and trying to move forward is like this look at the history of um you know not only yourself but of different people and then trying to look at the future and say hey we need to you know we need to improve things and bring things into a new light and this is constant juxtaposition between the two
1: Good question. Um, Yeah, so my family running history, you know, has began way before I ever existed. Um, My grandfather was a D-run runner for the University of South Dakota, um, track and cross country, football player, basketball player, inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, He has beaten Billy Mills, their friendly rivals, and their family um in the mile at the Corn Palace Relays which Billy Mills always jokingly like gives credit to my grandfather that he beat him in a race um and so that's always a funny story to talk about whenever I do get to see Billy Mills um, cuz I have run for his organization Running Strong for American Indian Youth and I volunteered for for their organization several times um but yeah he he was a long distance runner um you know, really loved the longer the runs, the better. He grew up running on the res. Um, basically running from their home into town, into to their school, and then he would run at school and then run back. So he grew up running and, and he grew up knowing the lands. And my mom, she was a sprinter and she was training for the eighty eight Olympic trials, but I came into existence. So.
0: Oh, Jordan. <laughs> Such a buzzkill.
1: I know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, she was being coached by my grandfather and she was, she began running like the moment she could really start walking and he had her on the track and he was a coach at the time and a teacher doing everything in the community. And she was, she just wanted to be with her dad and she just started running and running with the boys, beating the boys, um, and just really having a lot of success as a sprinter. And so she had these opportunities um, to, to take that further, but I came into the world um, and she became this amazing pediatric nurse, oncology nurse, dialysis nurse, and just a superhero um, in treating our patients and, and people. And so sadly I didn't want to be a runner for a long time. Cause I was like, who wants to run? And I, I, gave it my all. I I felt like I kind of had to do it, even though they, I didn't get any kind of pressure from them, but I felt like I just had to. And so I, I did it in elementary school, high school, and, you know, I did like it enough to keep doing it, but, um, my heart actually didn't fall in love with it until college, until I had this amazing coach who really believed in me and really, um, had a great running philosophy, and he could individualize, you know, kind of our own training programs because it's not a one-size-fits-all uh, on a college elite level, um, and so I just really began loving it, and then I found out what I was capable of, and just I felt really good, and I, I got over and was getting through um, an eating disorder of like two and a half years that went into college. And once I got healthy from that, it's like running clicked and running got even better. And I was starting to take off like 30 seconds or more on PRs from high school going into college and then qualifying for, you know, ECACs, New Englands running in regionals for the relay team with my squad. And it was just an amazing experience. And then even after that, I started running for new balance, Boston and my coach, Dan green, who still is coaching me now is just, you know, they've been so great and I've been able to hit some PRs, but he also knows that I want to work and help my relatives and my people. And so I, he knows that I put that first now and with my running, Um, trying to train for half marathons and marathons um, seems to be the easier thing to do than trying to train for track um, in terms of having a full-time job and trying to organize too at the same time. And so it's, I'm really blessed to have a coach that is very, you know, relaxed and lenient and flexible um, with the things that I want to do. And so it wasn't any surprise to him that I took this opportunity to run the Boston marathon for something more than to just reach the finish line or run a certain time
0: and when you had that paradigm shifting uh moment in college with your coach of you know you all of a sudden you started approaching running in a different way and it started feeling different for you what exactly how exactly did it start feeling for you and what did and what exactly did were the feelings that you left behind when you made that switch
1: I think the biggest switch really came down to when, you know, I admitted that I had a problem, that I had an eating disorder and I needed help. And the people that came in, family and friends, my coach, um, that really helped me get back on my feet because in high school, I had it the last year and a half of high school and I was reaching good times where I was making states, you know. Doing, you know, good enough to make it on the podium, but it wasn't what I was capable of doing, but it felt like such work because I was putting my body under that kind of stress and it was making me have a disconnect with loving running. And so when I finally put myself first and was taking care of my body and learning what foods to eat, how to, you know, reframe this relationship with food that I had that I was so scared of, um... Changed so that like I ended up loving running and I I could I felt good and it was the first time after a couple months of just you know easy running and and making a basically a meal plan a, a proper healthy meal plan to get me back up on weight and just health um it just clicked and I just felt it in my body when I was you know starting to run longer and got approved to go on longer runs and get back into workouts. Um, and my body just felt really good. And I think that's just when it clicked. And then with every run, I was just connecting with my teammates, connecting with the competitive side of it and really loving it and really enjoying pushing myself and enjoying pushing myself to that pain that I I want to feel, or else I know I'm not doing a good enough job. And just connecting with the lands and my environment because we had so many trails at the university of Maine and you could always run so many in one week and not ever run the same one twice. And I loved that. And it was just, a, it was just a life changing experience when I finally got help and started taking care of my body.
0: Now I don't want to linger on this subject for too long because we have so many other things to talk about, mm-hmm. but that's not to say that this isn't, isn't an important topic. In fact, I'm recording an episode tomorrow with Carrie Tollison about this exact topic about, you know, teenage girls and young and women who are in college who are going through this and the various pressures that they go through. So the last question on this topic is if you were talking to a young woman who was going through something similar that you did, how would you advise them to just – what advice would you give them? Frankly, I'm not going to steer it in one way or another.
1: Um, I would say talk to somebody. I I didn't really feel like I had anyone to talk to. I felt alone in this with my thoughts and I would just really try and and say to this young person to talk to somebody and you know to treat your body like you know, it's a temple, you need to respect it, and you need to nourish it, you need to feed your body, you need to hydrate your body, because all of this is all connected to each other for whatever you want to do moving forward, whether it's running, or any other type of athletic thing you want to be doing, or just living a good healthy lifestyle. Um, It's not worth it. But I would definitely say reach out for
0: help right away. And you talk about, your grandfather's running history in a way that you're obviously very familiar with it. Is this something that you became more, um, more aware of as you progressed in running, or is this just part of just your normal family story time and dialogue that you'd always been surrounded by?
1: Um, so the Billy Mills story, I actually didn't know that it wasn't until my grandfather had passed away and Billy Mills, um, was the pallbearer and our main, um, speaker at his funeral that he was telling the story that yeah your your grandpa beat me and we're like what no way like you're billy mills um even though i knew my grandpa was fast but that was just it showed you know the kind of person that my grampy was he was very humble and for him to not even tell us that you know that was i could totally picture him just you know letting that be his own little victory inside his own head for him to know um but yeah i i I knew he was a runner all my life. I, could, I saw the medals, the plaques. I went to his award ceremonies. There's one where he was getting inducted in Sioux Falls. And he was holding me right up next to this giant plaque where they added his name for that year. And I think it was like 1994. Um, but yeah, I, I've just grown up with it. And so it, it's just something amazing to talk about. And I just always wanted to live up to that and hope that I can make him proud.
0: Now, would you feel, do you kind of feel the same way about, and, and please correct me, because I'm going to butcher some of this stuff and not on purpose, <laughs> but growing up, is it Kowakasa Lakota and Kowakasa Oyate, um, connecting with those communities? Has that always been part of your upbringing or is this something that you, with time, have reflected on and really tried to embrace?
1: It's, uh, Kowichasha, okay, Lakota, um, from the nation of Kowichasha Oyate, the lower Brule Indian reservation, um. So, I mean, I've, I would say that I've reconnected with my indigenous identity. Um, But I moved away from the reservation when I was nine and my family, we were all there, all my family's back home in South Dakota. Um, I was raised traditionally as traditionally as we could in, you know, modern, you know, colonization. And when we moved away to Maine, I lost a lot of that and was really ashamed to be an an indigenous woman, indigenous girl, because I moved to a very rural place and this town, these people didn't even know that they had five federally recognized tribes. Um, And especially being a student, one of like maybe two or three at the time when I'd first moved there was only student of color. It was really hard. And that was the first time that i had ever experienced racism Um, and some hate crime that didn't see justice when it happened. Um, But it it made me really ashamed to be who I was. And I didn't want to be a native person anymore. I didn't want this brown skin that I have because that's, you know, I got made fun of. I I had racial slurs said to me and I didn't understand this. So I, I did everything I possibly could to disconnect from who I was. And, As time went on into high school, that got better. I I started to accept it more, but it wasn't until college when I was volunteering at Penobscot Mm -hmm. Indian Nation, um, whether I was volunteering or working for the tribe um, or taking every single class I could for Native American studies that I realized this is who Mm -hmm. I am. And I am so proud to be here. And I am so proud of the ancestors before me who fought so hard For me to exist right now as as with many other indigenous people all across the nation um and then that's when i I reconnected back and that's when i started to get more curious and wanted to be more active um in these frontline fights happening in our communities and started doing more research and wanted to go to dc and help make policies that you know can better our communities um yeah. And I ended up doing that. I moved to D.C. and gave that a try and realized I'm not as cutthroat and meant, out meant to be for that kind of work. Um, and so I did a lot of my work focusing, working with our own tribal communities in whether it was grants, project management um, and then grassroots organizing on the side as
0: well. I really appreciate you being so open and frank with how you were feeling when you were a youngster it's it's perfectly understandable, but also it's it can be it can be hard to reflect on how we felt as a kid yeah. um sometimes. So I appreciate you saying that. It also it's it's understandable, especially when you're that age, right? All the last thing you want to do is stand out, you know, for any reason. You just want to be able to like live a comfortable life and, and it's it's hard to you know it's just hard to be picked on as a kid. So when you had this conversion later in life and kind of going to the other end of the spectrum instead of, you know, shying away from who you are and, and, and your family and your history and really embracing it. And not only embracing it, but trying to, to you, know, you know, kind of make it your own and also improve it and, and in a way that, you know, is you're really taking ownership of it. How has that changed in terms of your own personality? Because I feel like to do, to do the work that you do now either on the front lines or in a passive way, even I feel like it it kind of requires a sort of fierceness that can be harder to acquire as a youngster.
1: Yeah, I mean, everything my life changed, I would say my life changed in 2016 when I went up to Standing Rock to see it for myself, what was happening on the front lines and, and to literally my relatives, people who I really am related to and my friends that I saw, um, everything changed. And up until that point, the name that I was given during my coming of age ceremony um, that you go through when you become a woman, the name that I was given, I never felt like I lived up to it. I felt like it was a name that represented, you know, me doing something so grand and huge and i just felt like i could i I could never live up to that and i always kind of used to think that i got the wrong name and it wasn't until 2016 when i started organizing and working a full-time job and then going to organize a rally two to almost seven times a week for weeks and months um that I felt like for once in my life that name meant something, and I was living up to that and it made me so proud. And it just gave me this this toughness, this courage, and this resilience that I felt deep within me to just fight for my people, not just indigenous people, but for all people. Um, and it just everything clicked and moving forward the last few years, it, it's all felt good and it, it, I feel like I'm on the right track even though I'm still kind of wondering how things are going to go a year from now or where I'm going to end up or what job I may have. I, all I know is that if I keep organizing and keep connecting with the community, the running community, the indigenous community, whatever it may be that I know that I am meant to be doing this work.
0: And your full name being Jordan Marie brings three white horses, Daniel. And.
1: That's when you. That's my name on my birth certificate, but my my Lakota name given to me um, at my coming of age ceremony. It's chungleshka washtewi.
0: Okay. And what, and what was for you? What does that, what does that mean? Not only in a literal sense, but also in like the, the metaphorical sense in terms of what it means for you and what do you try to live up to?
1: Um, So basically if you, if I wish I had an image, but you have like a medicine wheel and it's a circle and basically it's, that name means of working to bring my people together and putting in that work. And so I just never knew what capacity that would be growing up. I thought, oh, I'll be a lawyer. Oh, I'll be, you know, a congresswoman or do these things. But when I tried to make those attempts or whatever, it just didn't feel right or I didn't feel like I could be, you know, that mean or whatever. Um, It just always felt like I could never connect to that. And then, like I said, until I started organizing and really putting myself out there and just really connecting with the people in our community and and organizing on behalf of them and everybody, that's just what made it feel right. Like I'm finally living up to my name and this is who I am.
0: Did you feel that that name put a certain amount of pressure on you
1: yes. at a younger age? Yes. I would and say bo- literally yeah. up until 2016, I just have always wondered, did I get the right name? <laughs> like it's powerful name. And there was that pressure of like, I really hope even all that I'm doing currently is like, is, is good enough. But I don't know. I, I, I just think it's just that having that human to human connection and those communications and raising awareness of things way beyond me made that feel like it was, it's the best name. And I'm so honored to have that name.
0: Right. For the same reason, right? I mean, it it can be, it can be overwhelming and it can be fulfilling for the exact same reason. Once you lean into it. And and when you mentioned before that, it was, that it was tough to, to have that for a while when you reflect on that time, do you feel like it was hard for you to have that name because you were letting like a person or people down? Like, did you feel, did you have a, like a person or people in mind, like visually in terms of like, I'm letting this person down if I don't get to this level?
1: Um, no, I didn't have anyone specifically in mind. I think I just had, you know, my relatives and people back home, people all across what we call Indian country um, I was hoping that I was just doing a good enough job, but I'm also, like, a worrier and kind of a perfectionist, so I'm always wondering, you know, how can I do things better all the time? Um, even after I've done it, I'm always reflecting back, like, oh, I could have done that better. Um, but that's just me not cutting myself any sort of slack. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think it was just that overall just pressure of, like, I, I hope I'm, I'm being a good relative And a good ally and a good person in doing this work.
0: Right. And so we already talked about Wings of America that you were running the Boston Marathon for. In addition to that, you did something that I thought was extremely, just, it was not only unique, but so special in so many ways. Um, But you also ran uh, for missing and, I'm sorry, missing and murdered indigenous women, um, MMIW. Can you you point to the genesis of why you ran for them as well and exactly what it meant in regards to how you conducted the race?
1: Yeah. Um, So back in 2014, when I went to my very first rally in March to stop the Keystone XL pipeline, which is to be going through um, my grandfather's tribe, um, I first learned about man camps. Man camps are usually placed along the pipeline near border towns, and that's where the workers are housed. And that's where I learned about the high increase of violence that happens on Indigenous women. And those man camps are often placed near reservations or reserves if they're in Canada. Um, And then off of that, that's when I heard about missing and murder Indigenous women, that often... These our our Indigenous women are being taken and put in human sex trafficking. Um, They experience high domestic violence. They're raped, or they go missing, or they're found murdered. And I started just learning more about it, but really Canada was really leading that effort into the inquiry and demanding from their government to start pulling the data and start doing the investigations of these missings and just seeing the United States didn't have that same kind of system. And there wasn't that same kind of pressure happening, even though many people were organizing on it and trying to speak about it, it just wasn't reaching a platform where it could be seen and heard beyond indigenous people. Um, And so over the years I've, I've tried all I can to help raise awareness about it. Uh, Whenever someone has gone missing in the community um, you know, I would try and share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter, share it on Instagram, or organize a prayer and vigil um, for Savannah LaFontaine Greywind, who was murdered in 2017 in North Dakota and had her baby cut from her womb. L- luckily, the baby survived and she is a beautiful you know, Savannah. Um, but these tragedies are heartbreaking and they're happening, and it's a reality for Indigenous peoples. And so I thought maybe one way I could start doing something is I'll run for them. And so in 2018, I ran the San Diego half marathon. And instead of putting my name on my bid number, I put MMIW. And when I crossed the finish line, that got people to ask, what does that mean? And so that would start the conversation of, okay, well here, this is what's happening. And I think that is so important to have that dialogue, whether it's with other indigenous people or non-natives to build allies, to build support. And so a year later in March, 2019, I did the same thing. I put MMIWG missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, and that still got people to ask questions. And I submitted a story of why I'm running for this and why it's important to the, um, the company that is putting on the half marathon. And they gave me a, a thank you card and you know wrote this really long letter just talking about what it meant for them to read that kind of story and how they can help in the future for next year. And so that's really important. And so when I was asked to do this marathon to run in Boston again, with very little time to even train.
0: Yeah, February <laughs> is not the ideal buildup. I know we're no. talking about much more important things than running, <laughs> but we do have to throw that part in there.
1: Yeah. I knew I could reach the finish line, but I also, like, it. I wanted to do it because it was for a good cause, but it wasn't perfect training-wise, but I knew I had at least some training because I was running the half. But anyways, I, I thought this would be a great time to do the same thing again. Put MMIW... On me somewhere. And so I was working with my coach to try and update my uniform. Um, in, in right now it says team indigenous with tribal print on it, but we were trying to make it be all red with the white silhouette of the missing um, girl on it. And then on the back, it would say like women are sacred or normal, no more stolen sisters. But the, the logo I wanted, we didn't get approval until after the race. Um, and so we're going to be working on that now going forward and updating my racing kit. But instead, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll just use face paint because I've seen so many other Indigenous women use the red handprint on their face to, to really represent the silenced voices of Indigenous women from violence. And so I was like, oh, I guess I'll just do that. And so I kept it to myself. I only let my parents know and my partner um, that, I, that I was going to do something with paint. And they still had no idea to what magnitude I was going to do this in. And I made a list of the names that I was going to pray for. And as we were driving to the, the Hopkinton buses to go to Athletes Village, my partner ended up driving me all the way out there instead of dropping me off in Boston Commons. Um, I just got out the paint and started painting my legs. And then um, put the handprint over my face and during that time it was very emotional and I don't even think I realized what this really meant um, but I was ready and getting to the start line having those jitters but also like knowing like I'm running for for these 26 women and girls just meant the world to me and it was an honor and a blessing, and it was the very least that I could do to help raise awareness. And I had no idea that it would lead to the elevation and awareness on so many platforms now that it has. And I'm so grateful that it's, it's reaching all of these different, you know, social media platforms and people and the messages and then the support that I've been getting. And it has just been so wonderful. And it's exactly what I had hoped for, but I honestly didn't think it would happen because sadly, you know, indigenous people's voices are often silenced. We, we don't get put on these platforms. we, aren't often thought about. And so it really meant a lot that it reached beyond Indigenous people and within my own, you know, Native community on social media. I knew it would mean something to them, but having it reach far beyond that is just so incredible. And I'm so happy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, there's one thing about the visual that changes things. I mean, we can read stats and there's a million of them. But, you know, here's two of them that Taylor Dutch included in her in her article on Runner's World, which is 84 percent of indigenous women have experienced physical, sexual and or psychological violence in their lifetime. 84 percent. And on some reservations, women are 10 times more likely to be murdered than the national average, according to the Department of Justice. Those are, you know, abhorrent stats, but they're stats. Right. You have to literally go into an article to read them. So you have to be positively predisposed on the issue, right? So that's the yeah. problem with stats is that the only people who are going to see them are people who already care oftentimes. Yeah. And I thought part of the reason why this has really gotten the coverage it has, I think in part is, is the paint that you applied before the run. It, it was, a very, I remember seeing the picture immediately and thinking how powerful it was. Like, I didn't know the story behind it right away, but I knew this was something significant just at a visceral level, just the paint that you apply. So I think for me, at least I can speak to like, Hey, I, I didn't know you before the race had happened, has started, you know? Um, but after I saw that immediately, it was like, Oh my goodness. And then you, just, you do the research and you find out more. Do you, can you see yourself doing those things like that in the future as well? Because it is such a powerful statement.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm wearing the face paint right now. I, I'm i still in it. I'm still in all red and wearing a T-shirt that has MMIW, the logo symbol of the woman with the braided hair, all in white, and the words, No More Stolen Sisters on the back. Um, I, I do see myself continuing that and... I I got that idea from other indigenous women that have been doing that and stepping inside, you know, state capitals to speak to, you know, their their congressmen or women, their representatives to to talk about this issue. And so they inspired me to do it. Um, But I want to keep doing it because, you know, one, it's in solidarity and it's helping to raise awareness. And it's an image that we recognize. But clearly, you know, from what's been happening, it's an image that many people are like, whoa, what does that mean? And so I want, I want people to be kind of like, whoa, what does that mean? And, you know, take the initiative to figure out and do the research of why I'm running for, for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. And so I, my plan going forward is to update my racing kit, and I'm going to have the paint. The paint's going to keep coming with me to races. I'm kind of exper- experimenting right now, finding the right paint that doesn't completely sweat off. <laughs> um, so, cause by the time I finished Boston, basically I just had like the side of my cheek with a, like the, f- the fingertips like still there, um, and the thumbprint, but, uh, I'll, I'll be finding hopefully the right one that can that fully stays, but yeah, I, I plan on every race that I do, dedicating it to, you know, a missing and murdered person, a relative, a sister, a brother, um. To our Two Spirit, transgender, LGBTQ community, um, you know they they are part of those statistics too, and you know it's up to it's going to be on me to hold myself accountable to do the research to find more, which is heartbreaking in and of itself. That I'm going to have to do that. Um, and just, you know, over the last few weeks, I've been seeing more people post about other people going missing and they've been missing since the eighties and their family still hasn't had justice, and no healing to move forward. And they still have hope, which, you know, just tear breaks my heart. And so I'm going to have to do the research and, you know, compile a list, not of just the names, but I want to know more about them. I want to know, you know, the information that way I can help other people if try and find them as well in the community surrounding them. Um, And I want to do the outreach to those families and hoping, you know, or give thanks for speaking out for, for their relative and and hoping like my running or whatever um, can be a a helpful tool and, you know, a platform that, you know, I can dedicate for them.
0: And bringing awareness is one thing. Um, Helping to influence change is another so once, once you've brought awareness out and people become, say like, like myself, right. I had the exact response that you were hoping for, right. I saw mm-hmm. you, I did all the things that you mentioned. So, yep. so, so that's, so that's the first level, right. That's awareness. From an execution standpoint and trying to affect change, what are some things that you're hoping for? You think people can do both people like myself or, um, young indigenous uh, men or women or boys and girls who might be positively predisposed to kind of walking the same path that you have?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, one, indigenous people are still here. Um, I would say to be a good ally and, and to support this movement, do the research and finding out if there are any indigenous organizing groups locally or in the state and reach out to them, ask how you can help. And one thing I will say is, you know, to be a good ally and a good supporter, a good friend, you know, help them reach that platform so that when they're speaking about this issue, this epidemic and national crisis, that it's coming from their voice. Don't overstep, don't overspeak, support them and just help amplify their voices to tell these stories. And so you you can Do the research by finding out the groups, becoming friends, becoming an ally, doing whatever you can to support them. Um, If not that, find other Native organizations, you know, like... The, the person who authored this report that came out under urban Indian health Institute, which is the first time we have, you know, actual real data showing, you know, what this epidemic is like in, in our communities. And it was only taken from 71 selected urban cities in the U S and the statistics just from those 71 c- cities are terrifying. So I can't even imagine what it's like if you did every single city in town, every reservation, across the nation. And it's just gonna be completely devastating and heartbreaking to see those numbers. And Anita, she is the executive director of Sovereign Bodies Institute, and she's the one that authored that report with Urban Indian Health Institute. And now she's becoming like this leading expert and she's so amazing um, in doing this research and working with people at the grassroots level, uh, federal level, state, local, helping to develop policies, making sure that when bills are being drafted in the state, that they are really accurately and properly reflecting what actually needs to happen and and be done um, to help indigenous peoples and this fight uh, to to end the violence that's happening on our people. And so you can support organizations that really need, you know, the monetary help. And she's just starting off um, with Sovereign Bodies Institute. So people can donate to that. People can donate to National Indian Women's Resource Center, uh, National Indigenous Women's Resource Center, people can donate to Urban Indian Health uh, Institute. Uh, you can donate to these native orgs that are really leading these efforts in terms of trying to document, pull the data, trying to organize in the communities to try and develop solutions that are best for them in those communities. Because it's like I said, I don't think it's a one size fits all, even in this aspect, Um but you can support on those efforts. And then once you feel like you are educated on this issue, like you know that this is a problem, that, you know, Indigenous peoples need help in being heard, go talk to your representatives. Write to them. You can even just send them a printed copy of the Urban Indian Health Institute report that pub- that was published last year. You know, 5,712 cases were found in 2016. That Anita and Urban Indian Health Institute found of missings. Only 116 were documented in the Department of Justice. So that is a huge problem, that those numbers aren't even being accurately reflected within our own government at a federal level. And so, you know, that's another kind of support you can do. Um, You know, talk to your representatives, tell them about this issue, and keep mailing them a copy or a handwritten letter or try it with running, try it with climbing, try it with hiking, try it with, you know, whatever ath- athletic sport that you, you know, are passionate about and, and love doing. Um, I'm really happy that I found that connection with running and raising awareness to really fit and feel like this is a new path I'm, I'm running on now. And I'm continuing to do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're, you're trying to make change. And bring awareness to something or to two areas that are very serious, which are, as you mentioned earlier, and, and I think you're, you're right on the money. They're, they're heartbreaking. These are heartbreaking statistics These are heartbreaking issues, both generally. And specifically when you go, you know, name by name, you know, the 26 people that you prayed for during the Boston marathon. And then the last point to uh, you prayed for your grandfather, uh, Niall brings with that said, yeah, you know, Jordan. At the same time, it's it's it's. I feel like you do this amazing job of trying to lead change and be part of a change in this really really impactful way. And yet, at the same time, you also seem like you live like a life where you embrace positivity as well. Like, is that hard to do for you when you're in your your you, you have these stats like at the upper levels in your brain? You're obviously fully invested in it, and this is this stuff is hard to hear. It's hard to talk about, I'm sure, because it can be so personal for you. just in terms of living your life day to day, how have you been able to not only embrace these issues, but also embrace the part of your life that's kind of like the fun loving side without it being drowned out by this this heartbreaking side?
1: Um, like I've said before, you know, I'm always my mind's always thinking. And I'm always thinking how I can do things better, how I can make it better for the next time I do an event or, you know, whatever I'm doing. Um, But I can't shut my brain off. I'm always constantly thinking about that, even if I'm on a vacation and I'm supposed to like, you know, disconnect fully from my phone or my laptop or something. I'm always thinking about how can I do better? How can I reach more people? How can I support these people? Um, but it's, it doesn't feel like a job for me. It just, it's natural and it's what I want to be doing. And, you know, in my travels, you know, last two weeks I've been able to camp and go trail running, run around a volcano, run in Klamath and, and visit the Yurok tribe, see their, the dangers of the fish hatcheries and fish farming that's happening there, learning about, you know, the Numu people up in payahunadu which is the bishop area which is the climbing like climbing mecca of this nation where tons of people go there to sport climb and and boulder and just knowing those histories i'm just so excited to be part of this environment and to meet new people um i don't know i just i do get stressed out if i'm doing too much or organizing too much um but running's always that you know, that stress reliever for me or climbing. Um, But I don't know, I I don't, I guess I don't really have like the best answer for that. I just I'm happy to be doing what I'm doing. And I don't know, I don't know how to like not turn it off fully.
0: (laughs) No, I can imagine. And I know it was kind of an awkwardly, an awkwardly phrased question, because it's one of those things where it's, it really is so important. And yet at the same time, like I, when I follow you and I look at, you know, following you on social media and taking a look at things that you're involved in, you know, it it really is, you, you really come across as this very positive person in light of trying to speak about trying to fix negative things. Yeah. I guess it's like the reason I bring it up because I can see other people say, say like, I'll just put it in personal terms. Like if I was to be, Somebody who's trying to fix like these giant negativities, I can see it completely like drowning out my positive light, but yeah. it doesn't seem to have done that to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I will say there were moments and maybe even hours where you know it does really affect me. I'm exhausted mentally and physically, and I just want to cry because of how hard this work is to do. Um, but knowing like if I if I stop doing it, like. I, I feel like I'm just not helping, and I just, I, I just want to be a good Lakota woman. I want to be a good indigenous relative, um, you know, helping to make our futures better for our future generations. I want my children um, to hopefully live in a time where, you know, these statistics – you know, are, are smaller. The numbers are decreasing. Um, I want all of our kids, our future generations to live in, you know, a, a happier, healthier environment moving forward. And that work is, is worth doing. And, you know, our, our ancestors before us, you know, they were thinking seven generations ahead. And so that's kind of like our mentality always moving forward is thinking about our future and how we can make things better And, you know, I do take time for myself, um, whether it's going out for another run or or praying or taking a day off or, you know, making my favorite snack or just, you know, getting a hug from the people most important to me that kind of helps recenter me and be like, okay, it's okay to feel these emotions. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel tired out. But, like, this work is worth doing. And it helps so much when I have such a supportive community, people that I know, people that I don't know that are there behind me, cheering me on literally and, you know, meeting new people. I love meeting new people and learning from them. And, you know, over my trip last two weeks, I was posting, you know, where I was and I was tagging the actual indigenous lands um, of where I was instead of the, the towns or like the city. Um, because it's important to to recognize and acknowledge that indigenous people are still here and I can't tell you how many times even in the last five years that I've come across people saying really rude ignorant racist things still thinking we belong in a textbook um, or not knowing that they had tribes in their own state or not knowing that they actually live really next to a tribe and so it just kind of blows my mind that you know even in 2019, we're still kind of forgotten and pushed to the side. And, and I don't want that anymore. And I, I, enough is enough. And, you know, we need to be, you know, mobilizing, organizing, you know, elevating indigenous voices and indigenous people and centering them in these conversations and having it come from their mouth and have their stories told. And that's what I want to do to help. And that's what this run was for. And it was the very least that I could do to help raise awareness. And I'm just really grateful for the support and the attention that it has gotten, that these women have gotten.
0: And thank you for doing it. Uh, not only, um, you know, the, the race and everything you've done, but this podcast as well. I, this has been a wonderful conversation, very instructive in a lot of ways. But, um, well. I don't know what that was, but, um, but thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. But I will say lastly, there's no easy transition. So I'll just dive right into it. You did run three hundred two eleven on not a lot of training. <laughs> um, so what does you know the rest of 2019 hold for you from a running perspective?
1: Well, I'll be talking to my coach very soon in the next couple of days, and we're going to figure that out. But I just want to say like that race, I don't want to sound like I'm cocky or, or anything like that, but that race coming off of a sickness prior to two weeks and having to take rest and being nervous about how that was going to affect me. Um, and then running for 26 women and praying for them. I was super nervous of how this you know, race was going to go. And it was the first time that I was actually you know, healthy going into it. And so, you know, every mile that came, it just felt so like it was, a long run like i was just on a sunday long run and it i was sore the next couple of days after i crossed that finish line but honestly it was such a comfortable race and i i know i can do better and i i stopped at every water stop because of the sickness that was prior um, that led to really bad dehydration and um, protein breakdown and so I was advised to really stay hydrated. So I got really nervous and stopped at every water stop to chug a little cup of water and chug a little thing of Gatorade. Um, and yeah, so just knowing that, and I'm sure that probably took off time, um, and then stopping to see my mom when I saw her halfway through and seeing my partner and giving them hugs and li to them and high-fiving them, I... I don't know. It was just like the best race of my life. Like I could honestly tell you everything clicked, everything felt so great. And I, it's just making me so excited to actually get in a good training cycle and really put the effort out there and, and, you know, really hammer down and hopefully go for a fast time and, you know, we'll see what we can do.
0: I can't wait to see it. Do you have any, and you don't have to release them yet, but do you have any races in mind that you're going to be targeting?
1: Um, I I mean, one, I want to try and get the Olympic trials standard Um, just because my grandfather was supposed to go to Olympic trials, but he, something happened. I can't, I think he was like sick or something with his work came up and he couldn't go. And then my mom, and then she had me. So, whoops. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like someone from the Brings family needs to make it to the trials, like, Someone has to, and it's kind of always been my little dream for forever that, you know, to get there and getting that OT qualifier would be absolutely awesome. Um, But I also know long distance running for women only gets better the older you get. So, you know, I have time if I don't get it for this one, Um, but that is definitely a dream of mine. And so um, we're looking towards an early fall marathon, possibly with a December marathon as a last chance backup. Um, with about two and a half, three months in between the two, but we'll, we'll see. So I'm excited right. to talk to my coach and figure this there out. There we go.
0: 245. Yeah. Here we go. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was really, really great. I can't thank you enough. So good luck with everything. You got a new job tomorrow. So many exciting things going on. Yes. Um, and it was a pleasure to have you.
1: Thank you so much for your support and for having me on your podcast. This, this really means the world.
0: Jordan, thank you again for coming on this show. What an incredibly special person. Uh, we talked about a lot of things in this episode. A lot of them were hard topics, frankly. Uh, you might have heard me kind of have having trouble spitting out a couple questions there. It's just a matter of trying to make sure that I'm you know, phrasing things the right way. Because this these topics are tough. And I really give her a lot of credit for going after this and really working hard to change Society and to to work hard to improve the lives of those affected um, by just tragic circumstances. Uh, it really is sad to hear, but she's working hard to correct it, and I couldn't be more grateful for people like her in the world who are working uh, so diligently to improve the lives for everybody. So thank you so much, Jordan, for coming on the show. Thank you to Mercury Mile for being the presenting sponsor of the Rambling Runner podcast. Also, Lowell Running. You can check them out at mercurymile.com and lowellrunning.com. That's L-O-W-E-L-L running.com. Thank you so much for listening. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and have a great day.